Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Wednesday, July 13th, we say hello. Good day to you. Whether you're listening, as we say, live or later, thanks for checking out Real Talk. There's nothing more valuable you can give us than your time, and it means a lot to us. Today, uh, we have an opportunity. We're going to make an opportunity, make time to get into some of your emails. We had talked about getting to some of them yesterday. Yesterday's show was, was interrupted, number one. Uh, by a technical glitch, who really cares about that? But number boo. two, yeah, boo, boo, but number two interrupted in a wonderful way, uh, a development that doesn't happen regularly. Typically, we would speak with a guest. We would thank them for their time. We would thank a few of our sponsors and then move on to the next guest. But instead, the segments kind of blended into one another. It's a mashup. Wasn't it fantastic? And uh, we had so much fun yesterday as, as uh, our, our two guests ended up kind of kind of hanging out together, Erica Eiffel and Mo Amir, and uh, creating ultimately uh, what will become known Furthermore, on this show is the unofficial opposition roundtable and the conversation continued and we started getting into a whole bunch of things that we didn't plan on talking about. And we figured, what is the point of doing an independent live streaming podcast or a digital new media show like this if you can't do stuff like that you can't go off the cuff let's do it if you can't react on the fly if you can't let the show lead sometimes we got a you know some great feedback from you real talkers after that show yesterday and we loved it and so i mean let me let me read this one from mark right out of the gates mark sent this to us around three in the afternoon that's when he had caught the podcast and Mark just wrote in to say, awesome show today. He says, I'm a podcast listener, and I so enjoyed Real Talk. Uh, July 12th, he's talking about excellent move, keeping Erica on, Erica Eiffel, and having her and Mo discuss important issues together. I love both of their takes, but an even more brilliant move was promising to have them back as the unofficial opposition from time to time. Mark mm -hmm. says, I love this show. Keep experimenting. And the show will keep evolving and getting better. He says, from a proud listener, yes, I do have a mug. <laughs> that from Mark. a boy. That's next level. Mark got his mug from our merch page at RyanJesperson.com. He says, P.S. I always appreciate it when you keep digging for clarity or opinions even after the time is up. Don't stop. Mark, that, I promise I won't. That deserves a sip. Show him the mug. Do you agree? Look at that right mug. There. This is Boom. the official Real Talk Studio mug. Don't forget, we give one away for free every month for our official email of the month. The reason, I shouldn't raise my glass without sipping from it. It's kind of bad luck, right? You meet someone. I, we, I've been teaching Wyatt, our six-year-old, this. I've been teaching him this. If you're going to cheers, you got to drink after you cheers. It's bad luck to cheers and put your glass back down. 100%. Teaching Wyatt. him all the important things, pal. He's got to know all the important things. <laughs> So we're supposed to be talking to, and, and I don't want this show to start off with who we're not going to be talking to, but it's kind of funny how these, sometimes the universe leads, the universe prompts, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going, we got to find some time to fit these emails in. We said we'd read them yesterday. We were supposed to read them today. We're supposed to go to Kyrgyzstan in just a moment. We're going to talk to Harry Shimon, who survived an ice avalanche, not just survived it, but shot it all on his camera phone. Now, millions of people have been checking it out, not just on Instagram where he posted it, but but all over the place. Harry sends us a, a message just, a, I don't know, an hour ago, probably. He says, he says, I'm sorry, it's an unforeseen circumstance. Our group is on the move. He says, we'll have to check back in. We're in transit. Of course, we understand. And we look for everybody in 
Planet Earth wants to talk to this guy. He said, yeah. he said, hey, listen, man, reach out to us whenever you're able and we'll connect. So we'll postpone that interview. And uh, as is the case also with our interview uh, with the good doctor out of uh, New York City, we're going to be talking to a psychologist in New York who's been doing some research. We just released a paper in a psychology journal in the States about the demographics of mass shooters. It's mm. a heavy conversation. Obviously, it was prompted by some of my commentary uh, following that July 4th parade shooting where I, I asserted to Sapria Devetti, who's going to join us in just a couple of minutes, that it seems to me, and yeah, there's a bit of hyperbole here, but I said it seems to me like the majority of mass shooters are young white males. And, and we wanted know, to do some digging. You know what I like about Sup? Uh, she kind of disagreed with you. She doesn't she doesn't always get in shotgun with you. She always speaks her mind. So yeah, that's you know, why I love her. You know what was great about it is she and I talked off camera after that and she said she made a really good point. I should just she's gonna be talking to us in just a second. Well, I don't want to talk about here her. She she's is. not Checking here. She's in. gonna be joining us in just a second. But she had a really interesting conversation about white presenting people. She goes, Yeah, I just don't know if they're all white. Anyway, the point is we're going to talk, uh, and 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 uh, our psychologist out of New York uh, sent her regrets this morning. Emergencies happen. Things happen. So we'll be rebooking her, too. A lot of moving parts in a live show like this, which is perfectly fine. We've got a ton of content to get to, and we're going to be talking, as mentioned, to Sapria Devetti in just a second. We have a big announcement to make, she and I, mm. um, which I'm really stoked about. But first, I want to remind you that we're always keeping an eye on our hashtag, Real Talk RJ. It's powered by the team at Park Power. Uh, they've been here supporting these conversations since the moment we launched and they want to remind you that every once in a while something will come across their radar as a corporate citizen they got to do something about it and that includes this alberta electricity rebate that's going on right now well scam artists are taking hold of this and actually taking advantage of people of course milking them and Park Power is doing something about it. So if you check out their latest blog post, just scroll down their homepage at parkpower.ca. You'll be able to learn more about these so-called phishing scams relating to the government of Alberta's electricity rebate program. They've got your back at Park Power. Don't forget the promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill when you bring your business to Park Power. Our friends at Kubi Energy also want to remind you, you know, a lot of Canadians are taking advantage of an opportunity right now. The federal government has made available $40,000 interest-free loans, interest-free loans for Canadians that want to install solar into their homes. Now, there's also a $5,000 rebate from the federal government, not a loan, a $5,000 rebate. And if you happen to live in our home city of Edmonton, there's another $4,000 incentive for you to get solar. The point is there's a ton of opportunity right now for people to go green, so to speak, and it's going to cost you way less than you might think. Kubi Energy, they're experts on all the paperwork and all the incentives, plus, of course, the install. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Well, you know that Canada's premiers have been uh, gathering, speaking, meeting in British Columbia. It's been chaired by B.C.'s uh, outgoing premier. John Horgan says he won't be running again, but he's on a mission right now, having navigated the healthcare system himself. He was quite candid yesterday in a news conference talking about his recent 35 chemotherapy or radiation treatments, talking about his second bout in the ring with cancer. He says, I'm cancer free for now. 
But he talked about approaching the federal government, in particular, the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs. He says, I was there vulnerable as a politician and as a person. Powerful stuff from the premiers yesterday. But what does this all mean for health care in Canada, for funding, for service delivery? That's all we really care about, right? Let's be honest. If you shatter your leg or your OMA falls down the stairs or your dad needs a valve replacement, how long is it going to take them to get in? Really, that's all people care about. People don't want to see politicians squabbling and fighting and passing the buck and claiming it's not their responsibility. But the premiers had a pretty direct message for the federal government yesterday. Before we welcome in Sapria Devetti, here's an example of what we're talking about. We don't want to quibble about the money. We want to get at the table to talk to the federal government. If they're not acknowledging and recognizing the crisis in communities across the country, they're asleep at the switch, quite frankly, and we invite them to come and talk to us about how we can work together to get the outcomes Canadians deserve. Asleep at the switch. Sapria Devetti, no doubt, keeping an eye on this story, Director of Policy and Engagement for the Center for Media, Technology and Democracy at uh, her alma mater, right? McGill University. She's Senior Counsel at Enterprise Canada. You see her on Power and Politics. She's on the Real Talk editorial board. Typically joins us Friday, but you will be in transit. So we appreciate you joining us on this Wednesday morning. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Um, That's a heck of a clip you played there. And, you know, your intro was great because it's it was really interesting to see, you know, all of the premiers up there. And I mean, look, there's nothing new or particularly interesting about provinces, you know, demanding more money from the federal government. But I think the tone and the tenor of the press conference uh, was quite palpable uh, because the unanimous frustration was all there from all of the premiers. Um, and yeah, accusing the feds of being asleep at the switch is, is quite the is quite the lob, yeah. um, you know, I mean, no kidding. And and uh, that wasn't the only time. I mean, this thing went on for 45 minutes, almost an hour. Supreme, we pulled a whole bunch of snippets for people that didn't catch it, that didn't sit through the hour. We get it. We wanted to give you a sense of what the tone was like there from the table. These are the premiers of Canada's provinces and territories, of course, chaired by John Horgan. Here he was again with more. I sat down with the Prime Minister last November and I had just come out of surgery. I was uh, facing uh, 35 rounds of uh, radiation treatment for uh, throat cancer and I was vulnerable as a, as a human being and as a Premier and the Prime Minister and I had a candid and frank discussion about the importance of making sure that as we go forward we're working together to address the challenges of patients and those that are accessing our healthcare system. The Prime Minister gave a commitment to me that he would uh, task his ministers to meet with us and we as a group agreed that we would look at a, a, a diverse group of Premiers. Uh, we selected uh, Premier Fury from Newfoundland, who's a surgeon, uh, Premier, Premier Moe from Saskatchewan, who was the past chair of the Council of the Federation uh, coming from the Prairie, and myself as a representative group of Premiers to sit down with the appropriate federal ministers to set the table for a discussion about how we go forward. That was eight months ago. And we started with a meeting in January where we reaffirmed the need to have a face-to-face -face meeting. And after that, it got quiet. We had a couple of phone calls with the Minister of Intergovernmental Relations, and that was it. I got a phone call from that same minister on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, the day we started this conference, asking how things were going. And I gave him a candid response to that question. And here we are. So it's no bueno as they say, Supriya, this relationship. <laughs> yeah, look, every single one of those premiers, right, can raise taxes and then spend it on health care. 
And so I think it's important to remember that healthcare is a provincial jurisdiction. And I take your comment about, you know, nobody really cares where the money is coming from. They just want to make sure that they have the care that they, you know, expect um, and quite frankly, deserve once they go to the hospital or their, you know, primary care physician, whatever the case may be. That's very much true. But this whole, you know, shtick that the provinces are doing about how somehow the feds should be the only ones to come in. Um, to either increase taxes and then uh, that, you know, means they're increasing the deficit or, of course, you know, cutting some sort of support or, or services in an area that is, you know, primarily, again, <laughs> provincial responsibility. It doesn't really make any sense. And I mean, you know, Ford mentioned um, the shortage of nurses. I mean, OK, well, what has the province of Ontario done that could potentially exacerbate that? Oh, yeah, they passed legislation that effectively cut nurses pay below the rate of inflation in normal times. And as we know, we're not even in normal times when it really comes to inflation. Um, Ford also mentioned the surgical backlog. OK, um, I mean, the feds transferred two billion dollars to the provinces back in March to help with exactly that. So where did that money go? And like while we're at it, doesn't Alberta and I think Ontario does as well. Or don't we have like something like four ish billion dollars that are unaccounted for yeah. um, in terms of COVID funds? Like, where's all that? I just don't understand um, how the, the, the chutzpah or hubris that these premiers are displaying right now on this issue. This is uh, typically, uh, you know, in our live chat of the interactions we'll see from people on Twitter. You know, there will be whether people are being devil's advocate or not. Some people will be saying, you know, well, these premiers need to whatever. And then other people will say, yeah, but the federal government, whatever there it's seems to be a little bit one-sided this morning to be honest with you the feedback Jillian says I can't stand these premiers who can't account for billions lost they attack liberals for overspending and then they ask for more money right you know Air Mitch says no new cash without very strong strings attached premiers who have lost billions have no right to point fingers I mean is this literally a panel of men and women looking to preserve their legacies in their home provinces like is that what we're witnessing do you think I mean, a little bit. And I mean, you know, again, I'm going to throw out some numbers here, but roughly eight ish dollars out of every 10 pandemic dollars came from the feds. And yeah, they're all up there being like, wow, you know, the situation is much worse because of the pandemic. And it's like, well, duh, maybe y'all should have thought about that before declaring the pandemic over and having, you know, the best summer ever only to see an ICU and overall healthcare crunch in the immediate follow up to that. Right. Or maybe in when we had lulls in terms of transmission, you should have invested in better air filter or ventilation or whatever in indoor spaces instead of just crossing your fingers and hoping and willing that this pandemic would be over. And like how many of those premiers up there are willing to get in front of a mic and implore people to wear masks or go out and get a booster shot and remind people that this virus is just continually mutating and, you know, finding ways to fuck with our lives. Like you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, well, pandemic is over. Everything's fine. And then be like, well, our healthcare system's all fucked up. I wonder why that is. Feds come and bail us out. So if you're advising the federal government, if you're advising the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs or the Prime Minister's office, for that matter, the federal health minister, whoever's going to get dragged into this thing, because, you know, every journalist in Ottawa is going to be talking to them, asking for a response this morning. What's your advice to them? I mean, it sounds to me that the position that the premiers are taking on this is that the feds are basically ignoring them. They're ghosting them on the phone calls, making the obligatory calls. What do you want us to do with no time to meaningfully act on it? But, but what do you think the federal government needs to do in this position? Really, what this is, is that it's an argument uh, being made in public, right? This is, an, this is something that's being litigated in the media, so to speak. So if you're Ottawa, if you're the PMO, how do you manage it? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So first and foremost, I think you uh, smack down the talking point that they're litigating this through the media because that's a powerful one. And that's one, I think, in which most people, irrespective of where you are on the partisan divide, you'll be like, okay, yeah, maybe y'all should be having these conversations behind closed doors and not through various snippets of interviews on power and politics or wherever the case may be, right? Um, and then I would just go through all of the investments that the federal government has in fact made um, in healthcare and pointing out the fact that this is provincial jurisdiction pointing out the fact that provinces do have, you know, taxation levers or revenue uh, levers at their disposal that they can very easily use. And quite frankly, um, I would throw back uh, to the provinces something that really made the Ford brand the political, you know, force that it is, which is there is only one taxpayer. So if you are claiming that the Fed should be piling out more cash, I mean, all they're really doing is asking for the feds to raise taxes when they themselves can do so. And the reason why they're not, of course, doing it themselves is because they want to seem as though they're these great fiscal managers when that's not the case. And I'm not saying that healthcare isn't messed up in this country because of course it is. It was bad prior to the pandemic. We're one of the we're on the lower end of all OECD countries when it comes to investment in healthcare. When it comes to you know um, hospital beds. When it comes to things like uh, ventilators, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the that issue should be taken up with you know, previous iterations of the provincial governments. If the Fords want to be mad at liberals, go ahead and be mad at the, you know, McGinty liberals, the Wynn liberals, whatever. But it's not it's not really uh, the Fed's uh, issue here. This is really the provinces mismanaging their own house. Now, I'm thinking back to past segments, past conversations that you and I have had where you've been on this show during the Ontario provincial election. The campaigns are underway and you're on this show banging on the table going, where is the conversation on healthcare? There was no meaningful conversation on healthcare through that entire campaign. However, Doug Ford wins a resounding majority government. You wonder if maybe he's a little bit emboldened by that. I don't know if I mean, if if I'm the premier of a province that's given another mandate that people send more, uh, you know, more representatives to, to the provincial legislature, to MPPs like to me, that's going to be an indication that the general population thinks I'm doing a sufficient or even a decent job. Here's what Ontario's Premier Doug Ford had to contribute to the conversation just yesterday evening. People don't care uh, where the money's coming from. They want action. They don't want to see a backlog uh, of, of surgeries, which which majority of us are, are facing. Come to the table. We'll meet you anywhere, anytime. All 13 of us will put our schedules aside to sit down and start the discussions. But to sit back and, and communicate through the media, it's really insulting to all the people of Canada and insulting to 13 premiers. <laughs> I love someone criticizing someone else for communicating through the media. Through the press media. Conference? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at a press conference on the media. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I again, like the feds doled out two billion dollars in March to help with the surgical backlog. If that's not enough, then, you know, come up with a dollar figure that you need um, from the feds and also explain why the two billion, you know, that was doled out, I believe, per capita um, to the provinces wasn't enough. Um, but you're also going to need to have to deal. You're also going to have to deal with like the shit that's in, within your your own your own realm of 
uh, responsibility and obligations. So that probably means repealing legislation that keeps nurses' wages artificially low. It probably means um, not just, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping that transmission is somehow going to lower and that our already, you know, stressed out, burnt out healthcare workers aren't going to face another crunch. But that's, that's simply not what we're seeing. And what's interesting is that when Horgan was speaking throughout that presser, you know, he often said about, we're, you know, we're all, you know, unanimous about the protection. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but we're all unanimous about um, the public health care system. And it's like, well, is that even actually true? Do Mo, Kenny, Ford, Legault think that? Um, like, I believe Horgan thinks that. I believe that a couple of others probably think that. But I, I, it's just this whole conversation, I feel like, um, is at this tipping point because we've ignored it for so long. And, you know, quite frankly, we did have an election in Ontario, um, you know, just last month. There was a federal election uh, last summer. We didn't talk about it then. Quebec is going to the polls in October and Legault seems it, you know, that he's just going to send out $500 checks to everybody in Quebec as a vote buying scheme. How much money is that? That that has to that has to be at least a billion, two billion, something like mm -hmm. that. Um, that could very easily be put into healthcare. Um, how many times did the provinces take, uh, you know, cash from the feds when it comes to to health transfers and use it on something else? Like these are all things that I think are, uh, you know, are worth the provinces taking a, a deep introspective look on um, from themselves. Well, and that was something that uh, Federal Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs Dominic LeBlanc actually keyed in on a couple of days ago. He took a swipe. He didn't mention Legault in particular. But he did say, you know, he, he says there, there is a lot of money being transferred. He talked about the province's taxation powers. And then he said, and we've got premiers that are throwing around $500 to every citizen. It, it was certainly a swipe at it. I will say this politically, uh, you know, strategically, Sapria, and fiscally, it's probably obtuse uh, to cut checks for four or $500 to every one of your citizens. But, you know, Ralph Klein did it here in Alberta, like, more than 20 years ago, and people still talk about it. As a matter of fact, it's kind of a fun thing when people are out for beers and it pops up. I've had this conversation three or four times over the years. Uh, can I put? Or were you in? You weren't in Alberta at the time, Johnny. But I hear about Ralph Bucks. You all hear about the time. it, but I was going to ask you what you spend your Ralph Bucks on, but you didn't get the check, did you? I didn't get them. Ah, sorry for you. See, I know exactly what I got. I, I I bought a brand new radar detector with it. You know, I resolved that I would that I would stop the province's taxation powers on the highways by purchasing a radar detector with my Ralph Bucks. Some of my friends bought booze and weed. Other people would say things like, yeah, I didn't have that luxury. I bought like formula for my baby or I put it down on my utility bill that was out of control because I was, you know, had had my income capped as a public servant at that time or whatever. Uh, every person in their in their own realm, that four hundred dollars said something to them. We've looked back on it and wondered what that contribution, a couple of billion dollars worth, might have looked like now in the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund as an example, right? Like maybe not the smartest to give the money yeah. back to the people, but hey, King Ralph, the man of the people, it was a smart move at the time to keep him on his side. And it'll probably work for Legault to be too, quite honestly. Cash is king for people. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I mean, you know, the other side to that though, and I don't necessarily know what the polling was like for Ralph in the lead up to doling out those, you know, bucks, but like Legault's already in a pretty cushy spot. Um, so it's interesting that he feels the need to even uh, do this to begin with. But anyway, like, I don't know, like, I don't know where this is going to go. Clearly they're not done sniping with one another. 
Um, but I think if we're actually going to have a substantive conversation about this, then we do need to talk about, for example, um, you know, how doctors are able to practice, like why don't doctors have more freedom of mobility to go from province to province. But if we're going to have that conversation again, docs are a federal, are, are a self-regulating, uh, profession. They're each regulated by their own, you know, provincial regulatory bodies, um, and that, again, is provincial. So they're going to have to talk about that at the provincial level and then figure out a way to better do that. A another good example, it's like, should we be rethinking the way we train uh, primary care or family medicine doctors in this country? Does it make sense for family physicians to go to four years of medical school and then do two years of, of residency in this environment? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But that's something for, you know, policy experts uh, to sort of hash out and discuss. But I haven't really heard um, very many, you know, potential or possible solutions really thrown out there from the premiers, aside from putting this all at the feet of the federal government. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I sort of struggle to to explain to people is that in, in Canada, we're, we're very, uh, how do I say this, like critical of our healthcare system in the sense of, I mean, even the conversation that we're having right now. And if you listen to, and I'm going to make sure I'm not sort of saying this in a disparaging or sarcastic tone, I don't intend it to be that way. But if you talk to healthcare professionals that, that quite frankly, are, are at the end of their rope, they're exhausted, they're, they feel, I think, disrespected. Uh, there's been a lot that's gone into the last couple of years. I don't think I need the preamble here. Everybody yeah. knows what I'm getting at. But people talk about a healthcare system that either has cracks or a healthcare system that's broken. And then you look around in the rest of the world and you think that people look at Canada's healthcare system in particular, maybe Americans, at least Americans without a ton of dough or at least without adequate insurance coverage. And their understanding is that Canada's healthcare system is the envy of the world. Right. And it's, it's this kind of tough thing to reconcile as a Canadian to understand, do we do we have it so good that when we see the system struggling and here's where I'm not trying to underestimate the challenges, but when we see our system struggling, we're hypercritical because we expect excellence or have we been sort of conditioned to believe that our system's so fabulous because really nobody's left without care asterisk, you know, not mental health, dental health, all the other things that people are left without, but you know, have we been conditioned to believe that we're the cream of the crop? Like where do you land on it with regards to figuring out exactly where it stacks up? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's a weird thing for Canadians because we take a like an odd sense of pride when it comes to a, our healthcare system, right? Um, and I think that's primarily because, to your point, we only ever know how to compare ourselves to the U.S. So as long as we're in a boat that's a little bit better than the U.S., we're like, oh, okay, we've done our job, but. I mean, there's lots of other healthcare systems out there. There are a lot of other countries we could be comparing ourselves to, you know, Japan, Germany, um, the UK, et cetera, et cetera. But none of those end up factoring into any sort of conversation about healthcare because all we can ever seem to have as the binary comparison is the states and like they're bonkers having you know healthcare tied to your employment is nuts, right? Um, it's what I don't think any you know. Uh, developed civilized country should be doing something like that. Um, but we should be able to talk about improvements or different models of our healthcare system without having it be reduced to full private or, you know, the system that we have now, there are different methods of going about this. And I think we've just 
you know, deluded ourselves into thinking that because we're not the US, because people don't go, you know, bankrupt for uh, emergency surgery or, you know, regular surgery or giving birth, whatever the case may be, that somehow the system is okay because it's not. And, you know, doctors would have been saying this if anyone were willing to listen to them prior to the pandemic. I'm glad now that we've, you know, we're in the throes of this thing, we're actually starting to listen to the folks on the ground. But, you know, even before the pandemic, like a bad flu season would really whack hospitals, um, you know, in the gonads and make it quite difficult um, for them to operate. Hospitals were operating at full capacity or over capacity um, in many places in this country. And that it was unacceptable then. And it's even more unacceptable now as we're going to have to deal with um, ongoing pandemic, other viruses. And like we haven't even gotten into all of the chronic um, long term issues that uh, the pen, this virus can potentially bring, right, with like long COVID and other diseases that have now been shown, at least to some degree, will increase. And like climate change, what are we going to do when climate change um, makes the air that we're breathing uh, a whole fuck ton worse? And all the other healthcare issues that go along with that, like, you know, mosquito borne diseases, because it's a lot hotter and wetter. And all of a sudden places have West Nile virus or other diseases that are brought on by mosquitoes or other insects that, you know, like ticks and, and chronic Lyme disease or whatever the case may be. But we're not having these conversations and it's it's to our own detriment. Yeah. And uh, now in our home city, city of Edmonton, this new city council's decided we're not spraying for mosquitoes anymore. Uh, don't even get me started on that. There are certain things I'm all about, like, you know, in our house, there's like the plant-based cleaners for the counter. And, you know, we do our best to, you know, control emissions and be responsible to planet Earth. But if I do believe in in the, the equivalent uh, of napalm attacks against anything, <laughs> it would be mosquitoes. Um, I'm considering running for mayor of Edmonton just to spray the city like nobody's ever seen. It's going to be like a thing out of Batman. It's a thick cloud. Be, yeah. the, like the villain comes in and just sprays <laughs> all of Gotham. That's going to be me in Edmonton with mosquitoes next mayoral election. Um, on the live chat, pe- people are chiming in. And, and uh, I love this. Dr. Bradley Martin's uh, listening in live, which is amazing and commenting. He's a family physician, Cyprian Hinton. He's been on the show before. He says lots of people are dead of cancer that they couldn't get surgery for shouldn't just read that comment and move on. We should sit and think about that for a second. Uh, Brenna says the bar for our healthcare system should not be better than America. We should set the bar much higher, right? Um, you know, she goes on to say it's better than a for-profit model, but not nearly close to being a system that provides equitable access to high-quality care. Mariah says we're conditioned to believe it, Jespo, that our systems is, you know, she says access to healthcare for moms and want to be moms is so much better in Germany. Haas makes an interesting argument. Uh, I mean, he doesn't necessarily talk about user pay or private health care, but it's what he's mentioning. He says we're conditioned. Monopolies never benefit the consumer. Uh, referring to someone as a consumer, as a user of a healthcare care system, I think is, a, is an appropriate phrase. I don't see why you wouldn't be. Um, you know, Erica says if Quebec can afford to give 500 bucks to every citizen, maybe it is time to revisit the equalization formula. Maybe they should bring that up at the premier's gathering. Do it. I love it. I love it. We pulled one more clip from John Horgan. Here's uh, one other thing that he had to say through that hour last night. It's vexing that we could have made so much progress together. And now when we we all recognize that the cracks in our precious healthcare system are there for all to see, most importantly, our citizens who want services. When we turn to our partners, our allies and say, 
hey, let's get together and figure this out, they go, no, you got enough, or you're going to waste it, or maybe we can't talk to you right now, there's something else going on. What could be more important for the intergovernmental relations minister than to relate with the other governments of Canada? Is there anything else on his docket beyond the 13 of us? I wouldn't think so, but here we are. There's nothing like a politician that's announced they're not seeking re-election. That's when pundits go, okay, here we go. Now they're going to start saying what they think. It's perfect. It's just like, you know, lighting. It's like that where Homer quits and he lights the bridge behind him um, (laughs) and and leaves always, you know, after playing burns his head like a bongo. I mean, that's essentially what Horgan is, is doing now. And yeah, good for him. But again, Uh, This isn't a partisan swipe at any of the premiers, but they've all mismanaged the pandemic and they have all done things to exacerbate the dire healthcare uh, situations in their own provinces. So, yeah, I mean, uh, what is Minister LeBlanc doing? I mean, I'm sure he's doing other stuff. If you want him to come to the table or you want the feds to come to the table, you're going to have to own up to some of the shit that you've done yourself to make all of this stuff worse. We've got a couple of audience members here that are saying, uh, excuse me, uh, from the Real Talk tweet this morning from Sapria's Twitter account. Shortly after that, we were promised a big announcement. Yeah. Where the hell is the big announcement? (laughs) Well, everybody, take a look. I'm Supriya Devetti. And I'm Ryan Jesperson. We've been colleagues, collaborators, and friends for a while now. And we're really looking forward to what's next. The news is moving at a faster than ever pace. Which can make it hard to keep up or follow along. You're bombarded by hot takes. Many of them uninformed at best. Knowing the headlines isn't enough. Sometimes you need to talk about the news to make it make sense. Seriously, we'll help you stay informed on the week's news by cutting through the noise and focusing on what matters most. Check us out today at Seriously pod.com and subscribe on youtube and wherever you download your podcasts so there you have it debuting a week from today july it's real it's real we can finally tell people every wednesday you and i will be releasing seriously so excited. I'm so excited to be doing this with you. I mean, you and I have been talking about this for a very, very long time now. Um, and I'm really bad at keeping secrets and just keeping my mouth shut in general. Um, so the, the fact that I haven't blabbed about this um, prior to the announcement, I think, is a, a great feat for us all. Well, congratulations. And uh, as of literally four minutes ago, people can subscribe to seriously anywhere they get their podcasts youtube is up as well you can subscribe there and uh, via seriouslypod.com okay seriouslypod.com is where you want to go we can show you the website looks amazing big shout out to the team at burn kit creative that did our design here you can follow us on twitter you can follow us on instagram and every wednesday starting a week from today that's july 20th you'll have seriously drop right into your subscriptions uh so the vibe of this show it's going to be a weekly show uh it's going to be about a half an hour so we want it to be something that people can listen to on their commute to or from work while they're walking the dog Cyprian. and we have an angle where we want people to feel like this is something that you keep putting it this way i love how you put it cut through the noise 
Yeah. I mean, there's just so much. It's like the news is like a fucking fire hose these days. Right. And it's hard to keep up with what's going on. It's hard to keep up with the nuances. And I think that's what seriously really brings to the table is to cut through that noise, give people what they need to know. And I think one thing that you had mentioned in some of our talks about this is like putting a real life lens to some of this stuff. Right. Um, and not sort of speaking about politics solely in that, you know, kind of Ottawa somewhat douchey bubble of like strategy and horse race numbers. Sometimes politics is, uh, you know, goes beyond that. And by sometimes I mean virtually all the time. And that's what we hope to sort of bring to this. Yeah, good stuff. So we'll invite uh, everybody to, to spread the word. And, and we're excited uh, for this national show, essentially. And, and of course, to to blend these audiences together, too. I know that your draw power, your star power in Ontario and Quebec is probably going to introduce some people uh, to this Western show and, and essentially create. It was great. We were talking to Erica Ifill yesterday. You know, she's an economist out of Ottawa yeah. she's she's the co-host of the bad and bitchy podcast we were talking she says she says doing Alberta interviews is such a different vibe I said what do you mean by that we tweeted her response it was hilarious she just talked to, she said I don't know you just shoot from the hip a little bit more it's a little bit more real and we wondered and, and, and talked about whether or not that's maybe just the whole changing landscape of media delivery right now it's a lot less stuffy the podcast the digital the new media independent landscape is allowing people to not just tell stories, but to take in and understand stories a little bit differently, a little bit more candidly. Uh, and ultimately, what it all comes down to is what does this mean for me? Whether we're talking about taxes or healthcare, education, whatever, affordability, inflation, people want to know what does it mean for my family? What does it mean for my yep. bottom line? That's going to be the whole point of the show. <sighs> I'm just so excited. All right, I don't pal. get excited about anything. I'm dead inside usually, and this is just great. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it nice to finally yeah. have something to look forward to? Uh, yeah, so okay. great. Okay, well, we're, we're going to talk to you uh, next. I mean, as a matter of fact, the next time I see you, because you're on uh, the road on Friday, you won't be on Real Talk in a couple of days from now. Next time I'll see you will be seriously next Wednesday, and then we'll talk to you, uh, you know, 10 days from now on Real Talk in your next Friday spot. Sounds good, Ryan. Have a good one. Yeah, you too, my friend. That's Sapria Devetti. Again, you can check out what we're doing. We're so excited to make this announcement today at seriouslypod.com. We're going to get to your emails in just a second. We're going to head out to the mountains. My Jasper memories coming up. But first, of course, we want to thank the amazing partners that keep Real Talk going. That includes the family-owned business, Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. This is what we feed our dogs. This is what we feed our family members. Can there be any more of an important or meaningful endorsement or partnership than that? I don't think so. So each of our pups, Moses, our 10-year-old boxer, Monroe, our three-year-old lab, they have different foods, different diets, whatever works best with their guts. They've also got some supplements that help Moses in particular with his mobility, his joints. You know, he's getting older, right? And so we've found huge improvements in his health with the supplements that we found from Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. If you go to granddog.ca right now, you can browse their inventory. I encourage you to check out their blog. It's a great resource. If you have questions, you keep hearing people talking about feeding their animals raw, but yours is still eating kibble. If you want to do a bit of digging, better understand the health benefits of raw dog food, you can check out their blog right now. And don't forget, if you use the promo code REALTALK, they'll knock 10% off your first time order delivered right to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, or in central Alberta. It's always great to hear from our friends at Infinity Healthcare. Of course, they're out in Alberta communities and their footprint is constantly growing as more and more people look to them for reliable, 
quality home care services. What's even better is hearing from real talkers that have partnered with Infinity Healthcare that are now using their healthcare aides, their LPNs, their RNs to ensure that their loved ones are getting the care they need. Those nursing care services include wound care, uh, maybe medication administration, vital signs monitoring. What about dementia care? Mom or dad living with dementia? They don't want to be in a home. They want to age in place, but you want to make sure they have the resources they need. You can trust Infinity with that. You'll find them online at infinity 8.ca. And if you've been inspired as a healthcare worker by the conversation we've been having, you're going, maybe I could use a change of pace, maybe a new career opportunity. Infinity's always hiring. You can find them online. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you it's never too late just because we're midway through July already. Can you believe it? Midway through July? Never too late to get your perfect project started. They're bringing outdoor spaces to life in the greater Edmonton region, have been for 20 years. That's why so many people bring them back every time they move. I asked Mike, I said, how many times have people returned business? He goes, oh, geez, there's one family that's hired them three different homes to do full overhauls on their landscaping. Why? Because it's custom and because they don't leave until you're happy. They do the designs. They do the finished product. There's no subcontracting. There's no wondering who you got to call to get that bulldozer out of your backyard. Who made the mess around the side of the house? It's not their style with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Do we have that Connie Walker clip loaded up? Would you be able to grab that for me, John? Connie Walker, the uh, remarkable storyteller. She joined us just this past Monday, July 11th, a couple of days ago. If you didn't catch the interview, make sure you do. She, at the end of June, just released the final episode, episode eight of her Gimlet Media Spotify podcast, Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's. It's the story, essentially, it started as the story of, of her dad. She wanted to know, who was this priest that had assaulted, sexually assaulted her dad through residential schools, the same priest her dad pulled over years later on the highway while working as an RCMP officer? Can you imagine? I still get chills when I say that. Uh, you know, if you didn't catch the interview, he pulls the guy out of the car and beats the hell out of him on the side of the highway. Figured he'd get in trouble, never did. Connie heard the story, wanted to do some digging. And ultimately, this podcast uh, touches the entire world. I mean, it's one that's powerful. And Connie talked about it with us just a couple of days ago. As a journalist, I I feel like I I just feel so much regret that I didn't look at this sooner, that I didn't, you know, pay more attention earlier. Because what's happened is that the window for accountability, because, you know, what what we uncovered at St. Michael's was just you know, after that interview with the priest that you you mentioned, the priest who we had heard multiple allegations against of sexual abuse in my dad's family, mm-hmm. you know, um, he denied abusing kids at the school, but he talked about abuse at the school in a way that, that um, you know, I found disturbing. You know, he, he said that he actually saw other adults at the school um, sexually abusing children. And it made me want to understand just how widespread was the abuse at this school? Like how many, like if there were three, three people in my dad's family um, who experienced sexual abuse, four people that I, that I, that I know of, um, how widespread was the abuse? And what we uncovered was just shocking and disturbing and, and also infuriating because you know that the window for accountability is, is small. You know, there are only a few of these alleged abusers who are still alive. 
So that was Connie Walker on Real Talk on July 11th. If you want to check out that episode in full, I recommend that you you definitely uh, take the time to hear her interview and and make sure you check out her podcast. It prompted Maurice to send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Maurice says, uh, and Connie and I had touched on the Pope's upcoming visit to Canada. The Pope's coming to Alberta to apologize for the Catholic Church's role in residential schools. Maurice wonders who should pay for the Pope's visit to Canada. Should it be the Catholic Church? the organization responsible for the wrongs that the Pope is going to be apologizing for? Should it be Canadian taxpayers? You know, the same group who paid for the multi-billion dollar class action lawsuit brought by residential school survivors for which the Catholics have never thanked, let alone compensated taxpayers? What about paid for by the media, wonders Maurice, because they will cover every inch of this trip with stories, interviews, and backgrounders. He says, clearly... What we do know is it should not be indigenous people themselves. Let's get real. Of course, it should be the Catholic Church. So what's the problem? No one is asking the right questions. Who is paying? That from Maurice to talk at RyanJesperson.com. We had talked about the road paving that's happening, which seems like a small detail. Uh, the, the part that made me the angriest during the interview. I mean, all the other stuff was... It was pretty frightening as well. But just like who made that decision and thought this will be good like this. People will take this well. You, know you had I kind mean? of a sleeper comment, by the way. Uh, I was listening back to that podcast and, and you, you made didn't a comment. Catch you, it at the time. Well, you said you know, I listened to it and you said, what's next? You said, are they going to finally bring clean water to those reserves in case the pope needs to wet his whistle? Yeah. I went, oh, boy. Quenches thirst. It's just like, why does it take this happen? It just it's just it's just wrong. The yeah, way they did it. Yeah. LJ says uh, they just finished episode four of Stolen the Podcast, said I bawled. It's a heavy podcast. You I gotta, started listening. You got to walk with it. It's intense. I was listening on the way home. Like, I have to listen to this yeah. like, when I'm laying down. You got to prepare yourself <laughs> because I feel like there's a call to action for every person that hears it, too. Like, what are you going to do about it in your own community? 100%. How is this going to impact your perspective? Right. Maurice, I thank you for your email. We talked to Sergeant Kerry Shima uh, a week ago Monday, joined us on July 4th. Sergeant Shima was involved in the search for a 13-year-old Edmonton girl that had gone missing. She turned up almost a week later. Investigators discovered her in Portland, Oregon. A 41-year-old man, her alleged abductor, I have to say alleged right now, he's not convicted, but a man facing charges uh, arrested by police. It got us talking about child luring. It got us wondering, as parents, do you know, or caregivers, or people that care about young people, for that matter, you don't have to have the direct relationship. Do you know who these young people are talking to online? What are the red flags? Sergeant Shima is involved with Project Alert's ICE unit. That's Internet Child Exploitation. And he had some pretty surprising... I was shocked that he was this candid. You don't typically hear police leadership talking like this. I asked him about the workload. I asked him about the case files. I asked him about how bad this problem is, these online predators. And here's what he had to say on Real Talk. Let's get serious. We've had such an increase of file intake that we've had to implement a triage protocol uh, this year because we simply cannot get to everything. And if I'm being really frank, like we're we're letting files go that we were investigating last, you know, that were serious enough to investigate last year or the year before, because we have so many more serious things going on. You know, it's, it's just like any it's like any other any other policing area. We don't have enough bodies. Is there shelf life? Absolutely. You can't you can't do this for for a very long time. And um, it's good experience. Very rewarding. We're arresting a lot of people. We're doing a, a lot of good stuff here. And 
Um, but at the same time, like you said, it is, I'd be lying if I said it, uh, it didn't bother me every, you know, every day you look at this stuff, you can't, uh, you don't, you don't desensitize. People say, are you desensitized? No, you have, uh, like you said, horror, anger, sadness. Um, there's a lot of different, uh, there's a lot of different emotions when you're looking at some of this stuff and it's not just a lot of this stuff is really, really traumatizing. Like we're seeing some, you know, you see everything from, uh, from infants right up to, to teenagers. Sometimes adults get mixed into it accidentally and sure. you're trying to help them out too. That was Sergeant Kerry Shima. That was uh, July 4th on Real Talk. And by the way, a mom of three teenage girls, Anna Savage, joined us later that week. That was, I mean, I don't want to say you stack up the interviews and say that one was even more powerful because it's just a different perspective. But talking about how she and her husband yeah. using the spidey senses they could not ignore actually uh which is like what kids always are like you know stop ragging on me yeah, leave yeah. me alone leave i want to live my yeah, life privacy but that was an instance where it really stopped something super dangerous it was her husband that happening. said yeah. her husband's just like something's wrong something is wrong and so anna puts her teen daughter on the spot and says open up your phone i want to look through the apps like right now open up your phone and Which they discovered plans. Of days, course right? it is. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, for anybody. It's kind of like because it's not even if there's nothing to hide, it kind of feels like, oh, you don't trust me. Yeah. Or you or, or oh, we're doing this. Are we? OK. Mm-hmm. So anyway, your daughter opens it up and it turns out, they, as Anna tells us, you can watch the interview for yourself. They've been exchanging photos uh, and they have plans to meet. The guy's got his address there and she's yeah. on her way there tomorrow. <laughs> so the parents intercept. Dad shows up at the front door. Anna says, I know we shouldn't have done that. Dad starts banging on the door saying, you better call somebody because I'm about to come through this door. And anyway, if you missed that interview, wow. But his reserve, too, during that, <laughs> like he went to the door and told the guy at the door, you better call a family member. You better call a friend because I don't want to do anything I, I'm going to regret. But I'm here. Yeah. But I'm here. Right. So Jordan reaches out to us and he says, I just wanted to thank you. And the Real Talk team for that interview with Sergeant Shima says actually went to school with him. Carrie, uh, he was one of the so-called big kids when I was in junior high school. If I remember correctly, he was student council president. Uh, Jordan says, you know, my memory's rarely 100% accurate, but I do remember thinking then that he, he struck me as a good guy looking out for everybody else. And it turns out nearly 30 years later, there he is out there doing good, looking out for his community. Not only that, but he's intelligent, competent, and he's certainly making a difference. The interview was a helpful encouragement to me to remember that despite what we see in the world today, the side of good is stacked with amazingly talented and caring people. And I know that this will come across as a simplistic way of thinking, but if you stack up Carrie against any of these child predators in a fight, Carrie's going to come out on top, and that's comforting to me. He says, thank you for giving one of the good guys some airtime. That from Jordan. I sure appreciate that. And Neil sent us an email. He signed off as White Ram because I think Neil knew that would resonate with me. He was a regular commenter on the text line in a previous gig I had on terrestrial radio. And it was amazing. Uh, It's always special to know that audience members have made the move over with us and that you're joining us every day here on Real Talk. Uh, White Ram or Neil uh, says, I was listening to your July 8th show, Jespo, where when you guys were talking about gun violence. This was on the heels. I mean, obviously, we've, we've talked for a while about guns i mean it's a non-stop conversation isn't it on and off but the july 4th shooting in illinois the parade shooting in illinois uh, at least six people died and then and, and when i say at least six people died what i mean is there's people still in hospital there's people with serious injuries and let's not forget you know one of the things that drives me nuts in reporting 
these types of mass casualty incidents. Number one is we take a look at the death toll as a number, like it's on a scoreboard. We should be reciting these people's names. We should be looking at their photographs. We should be hearing from their family members. These are people. These are lives that are interrupted. But also these injuries. You know, oftentimes if you're like me, you'll go, oh, phew. You know, they say there, there were 11 injuries and you go, oh, only injured. Geez, they could have all been killed. An injury could be a bullet through your spinal cord. An injury could be, it could be a major debilitating type of a thing. You know, a, a bullet grazes the side of your head and you lose all your memory. Like, it could be a major life-altering event. And then former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe shot and killed, assassinated on stage, uh, speaking at a campaign event. And so we've been talking about it. And I talked about the statistic uh, out of Japan, 2018. 2018, four years ago, this is the most recent statistic I could track down. 125 million people, nine gun deaths, nine in 2018. The United States, for comparison, about double the population of Japan, a bit more than that, as a matter of fact, almost triple, 37,000. And so it prompted, when I made that comparison, Neil, to write in, he says, I was playing catch up. Your July 8th show, you talked about gun violence, says, first off, as a gun owner, um, I'm obviously disgusted and troubled whenever somebody loses their life. But I'm not sure why we have to compare everything to the United States and to their model. In Canada, we have, says Neil, what it sounds to me to be very similar gun laws to Japan. You have to pass a competency test. You have to pass a mental health screening. I have to disclose all my conjugal partners to the RCMP to get a license. So they know a lot about me. Neil says, I honestly believe that that our Canadian system is great. And I don't think that it requires the changes that the prime minister wants to implement. He says it's, it's come out that the RCMP has done a poor job, uh, you know, when it comes to vetting future applications or people that were seeking gun licenses, that maybe they contacted fewer than 30 percent of the mandatory three people that would vouch for a potential firearms owner. He says, for example, in Canada, the mass shooter in, in Nova Scotia, you know, did not have a gun license. Uh, and the RCMP knew that he had guns, even though he was not allowed to have them. So when gun owners, you know, for the most part, vetted members of society are penalized because the RCMP didn't follow or enforce the laws that we do, it creates animosity aimed at the establishment. And that's what I don't want. Neil says, I respect the RCMP. I want to believe in the laws of society and I want them to be enforced. So in short, says Neil, I'm happy to listen to your views or anyone else's. Um, and I wouldn't say that I necessarily portrayed any views on gun ownership. I was just presenting the statistics. But Neil, I'll take your point. He says gun laws in Canada are confusing. He says sometimes I wonder if maybe that is by design to prevent people from seeking ownership. But the laws would work if they were better enforced by the RCMP. That from Neil, a.k.a. White Ram. We welcome your opinions uh, wherever they may fall on the spectrum. The more the more robust our debate, the better, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, hell, we're getting ready to talk to Danielle Smith tomorrow, and I've put out the invitation to you. I mean, she's, I think, easily the most polarizing candidate seeking the leadership of the United Conservatives. And when we talk about the leadership of the United Conservatives, we're talking about Alberta's next premier, uh, Danielle's easily the most polarizing. Yes, I heard what she said, I believe, in Airdrie yesterday, talking about how Alberta should make it more possible for teachers to have uh, homeschools in their basements where five students can join them there. I mean, she's got a lot of stuff. She's putting a lot of stuff out there. You know, Alberta sovereignty, you know, refusing to adhere to laws from Ottawa. She's got putting a lot out there. Uh, we're going to talk to her. And I've invited you to share your questions with us. And I've got a stack of them. 
As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to ask three or four of my own, and then I'm going to hand it over to you, Real Talkers. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can be in touch with us. Did you happen to notice the development yesterday? Charles Adler taking on Danielle Smith on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> you know, Keep in mind the three Adler's of us. One of my ones I have. I turned my notifications on for him because you want to know when he tweets. He's 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 constantly sipping the hot tea, as I like to say. He's constantly in the mix now with people on Twitter. And for me, it's especially interesting because the three of us were colleagues for like six years. You mm-hmm. know, we were out in Toronto together covering that 2019 federal election. We're out for beers. It was it was quite a table. Uh, at one point, it's it's uh, Sapria Devetti. Me, Daniel Smith, Charles Adler, and Brad Wall, the former premier of Saskatchewan. I'd like to be a fly on the wall. And we're sitting there having beers, and it was, it was, I mean, the debate is fantastic, and everybody's got their own opinions, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, calling bullshit when you see it, and also digging in your heels on a point when you feel strongly about it, and 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 hammering it out. And I suspect it's going to be. A pretty interesting conversation, one you won't want to miss tomorrow. You can send us your suggested questions. You can send us your thoughts on anything that we cover to talk at ryanjesperson.com. The city of Calgary is hurting today, and I want to talk about that in just a second. But before I do, there's been a bit of a theme this week in talking about Friesen Brothers, 16 grocery (laughs) locations across the province of Alberta, where essentially I've put my feet up. And handed things over to you. I'm kind of out of pictures right now. I'll it's okay. You've more. already shared like 30 of them. Well, I had one, but it, it I don't know if it didn't save to my phone, but yellow watermelon was the one I really wanted to show Ooh. you. And I can't find the photo, but they just, they have a selection of fruit that this is another reason me and my wife started going there. We just, they've got more variety of more. I don't know where they get it and why the other stores don't have it, but yellow watermelon? Just as good as regular watermelon. It was before you started here, but they had a special delivery that arrived at the studio. They sent one to us. It came in its own special box. Oh, really? You're about the pink pineapple? Amazing. They were so excited about these pink (laughs) pineapples. And you got it. And you know, like back in the day, uh, this is for the old timers like me. Do you remember when you'd get your Cabbage Patch Kid? And remember it came with a certificate of authenticity? I mean, the butt was signed by Xavier or something or other. I yeah. mean, the butt, that's how you knew you had an authentic Cabbage Patch kid. But they gave you like a birth certificate with it. These pink pineapples in the box came with their own certificate. Yeah, I saw them. We, we enjoyed them as well. It's Fantastic. just like that. It's not exotic, but it's just like it's just stuff Different. you don't see. It's stuff you don't see. Yeah. They take great pride in their produce. They take great pride in their protein. And of course, they take great pride in really good Food. They know that's where the best conversations often happen around the family dinner table. You can find Friesen Brothers online at Friesen.com. And don't forget, the first of every month, it's 15% off every grocery purchase of $75 or more. You know, for some people, like for some big families, that's a, that's like $100 off your grocery bill. Uh-huh. That's a big deal. Yeah. Even for people that are just buying groceries for themselves, if you're stocking up on the non-perishables for the month, mm-hmm. 15% off. What if that's 15 or 20 or 25 bucks for you? Maybe it makes up for how much more you're paying at the pumps. It makes good fiscal sense. They have great deals there, and that, but it didn't work out for us because now we go there and we're just amazed by everything. So we end up you're like, I can't wait for the first yeah. of the month. We were like, we're going to save money. We haven't been, but it's been delicious. <laughs> there you go. Hey, you've been warned. I just want to say to people, hey, I'm not going to apologize if you end up going from a basket to a cart because you can't help yourself in there. Speaking of keeping it local and family-owned, that's the deal with local environmental. You know, they present Trash Talk every Friday here on Real Talk. They've been family-owned for a quarter century, started in Alberta, and then they've expanded from there. 
mean, if you're listening in from Saskatchewan, you're going to want to look them online as well, localenvironmental.ca, whether you're doing a maybe a renovation, maybe a landscaping project, you need one of these roll-off bins or a front-loading bin outside your retail location. Maybe you just need water hauling, you need to fill up your pool or whatever it is, portable toilets, fencing for a music festival, check out localenvironmental.ca and keep it local. Well, I touched on this and, and, and somebody texted me, tweeted at me last night and said, Jespo, you better be talking about this. That is uh, Calgary Flames superstar, now former Calgary Flame Johnny Goudreau. Jeez. He who has worn number 13 for that franchise has informed the team that as of last night, today starts free agency. Why are you laughing? People in it's Calgary, like you're delivering a eulogy. Well, it kind of feels like it. But here's the thing. He could have... He could have been traded in this time. He was obviously like obviously he was like 80 to 90 percent sure he wasn't going to stay with the team. And he didn't tell them. He kind of fucked them over. No, he didn't yes, fuck he them did. over. They could have traded him. They could have got some value. I don't know about that. I think that. Uh, well, so here's the deal. So he's leaving. So he's on his way out. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he's he's played 602 games for the team. Uh, 609 points. It's always something special when your legacy is over a point a game. Mm-hmm. 115 points last year, yes. which is perfect timing if you're heading into unrestricted free agency Amazing. to have a career year. But that last shift wasn't too good. The last shift we're talking about, and I don't have it locked and loaded, he decided to essentially have like, his he, last shift as a flame was yeah. Connor McDavid's overtime winner in the Battle of Alberta series. He was like putting his shaving kit in his suitcase. He was getting ready to go to the airport. He was... So the Flames reportedly offered him north of $10 million a year for eight years. And if you're not a super fan, if you don't know how it all works, in unrestricted free agency, or restricted for that matter, the team that holds the rights or that held the rights is the only team that can offer an eight-year term. Every other team can only offer a maximum of seven. Mm -hmm. Why does this matter? When Johnny Goudreau, eight years from now, is looking to cash in and make even more money, he'd be getting paid 10 from the Flames. Mm Mm-hmm. But he'll also be like an older man that's going to probably get paid like four or five or six, like if Genny Melton got paid last night yeah. uh, from the Pittsburgh Penguins. So so the Flames had the advantage, so to speak, but Goudreau's going to test the open market. And, of course, today is free agency day. We're expecting big announcements. Where's Johnny Goudreau going to go? People think the Devils, the Flyers will see. Yeah. People are wondering, is Claude Giroux going to head to <sighs> Ottawa? I almost hate this the time of year. You think you're going to get a break after the Stanley Cup? You're like, oh, we can relax for a couple months. And then it gets even more stressful because then all your favorite players, where are they going? Are they staying? You know, it just gets, ugh. Yeah. But it, the last three days on the hedge, uh, hedgepod.com with Andrew Walker has just been, like, it, literally by the minute we're talking about things because they're happening. And things change fast. Yeah, it's just... Evander Kane returning to the Edmonton Oilers, uh, who found some cash for him, about $5 bucks a year. You, you just, what? Why well, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to throw you under the bus right I now. I, and I'm not going to throw him under you, the bus. You just I'm roll, not a big Kane fan. You just rolled saying. your eyes big time. I'm not a big Kane fan. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah, well, Just there's there's general. there's a lot of people that aren't big Kane fans. My and, man. And that's probably why he got a relatively short-term deal for less money than a goal scorer like him would typically yeah. get on the open market. But I think a lot of people... Did he prove himself uh, for the Edmonton Oilers? Great Certainly ad. he did. Athlete. He was a great ad. He scored a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Um, meantime, 
you know, his 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 estranged former partner, the mother of his daughter, is is back on Instagram again, showing photos where he allegedly choked her and threw her up against a wall. And people are having a lot of people having real problems with Evander Kane right now. So it's a, that's a complicated story. It is. But he does return to Edmonton. And that was one of the big questions is whether or not the Oilers were going to get him back. I have a hard. It's, it's interesting because if you're doing a sports show. You kind of, and I don't mean to diminish what sports broadcasters do at all, uh-huh. but you have a bit of a luxury of of saying you can acknowledge the off-ice stuff, but you say, we're going to talk about the on-ice product. Yeah, we're going to talk about what hockey teams are doing to win. How are they improving themselves? When you do a talk show like this, yeah. we say news, politics, and pop culture. You can't ignore that stuff because it is relevant. It's relevant to how the fans feel about it. 100%. You know? And I, I'm, uh, I'm always the guy. I have arguments with my wife about our justice system all the time, and I'm always the guy who's like, I feel like most people, ninety five percent of them, can be real rehabilitated. They can be given a second chance and do things better. But uh, Andrew Walker says this all the all the time in his pod. He stays away from that too. He's like, give me all the bad guys. I'm just going to talk about how they perform. Put them all on my team as long as we win. But then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I don't know if I want. You know, a bunch of criminals, a bunch of uh, well, ra- you, like, racists, rapists. I'm not saying Evander Kane is any one of those things. He has not been guilty of anything except being bad with money. But at the same time, you've read about all the things that have happened. Right? Well, I like, mean, we're working on a roundtable right now to talk about these because because we want to get the right voices on it. The allegations around, you know, at least eight players that represented Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Exactly. I mean, essentially a, a, a group sexual assault. What do you call it? Like, it's it's horrific. It and I mean, and, and then the way that they handled themselves, I think most people are familiar with that story. But like getting this girl on camera to say, like, you're not drunk, right? You're not drunk. Making her shower before she leaves the room. It's like very methodical. Disturbing. It's super disturbing. And so there is this element of, of, you know, within sports culture that cannot be ignored. You know, you look at other, I mean, you know, Tony D'Angelo is another example, a player that's been passed around the league. He's a skilled, a very talented defenseman. There's no doubt about that. Very good. Very but his good. comments about non-white athletes are... I don't like it either. <laughs> like, it's... You're going to put him in a locker room with a person of color? Yeah. And expect, hey, man, like, you know, pass to me on the power play and I'll just, you know, forget about the fact that you think I'm subhuman? Yeah. And these guys are sprinkled everywhere around the league. But if you put them all on one team, that would be the most hated team in the league. Like, you know what I mean? So I think it matters. Uh, but then there's times where, you know, you just put it aside and, and talk about performance and that's all you can do. And I think a lot of people like, what are they going to do? You're talking about sportscasters. They, just, they, they don't want to lose their job. They yeah. just want to talk about what they were hired to do, which is, you know. Who scored the goals? Here's my hot take, et cetera, right? Sharon's on our live chat. She says, people can change. I she believe says, it. She says, remember what they say about glass houses. Tracy says, I wasn't an Evander Kane fan, but he proved himself. And I do believe in second chances. And I understand that he's working on his behavior. That from Tracy. And Christy, uh, who basically hits a bullseye, says it's really easy to say that we should only talk about athletes' performance when you're not part of the demographic that's put at risk by behavior like that. 100%. <laughs> Bullseye. And that's what I think about when you hear these stories about, and I'm, I won't mention any names, but you hear stories about players being at bars and, and grabbing women by the arms or, and trying to throw them, like little things that aren't necessarily illegal, but show that they aren't the greatest person. Like if that was your, you know... Your sister, your mother, your aunt, your whoever. Like, how would that not matter to you? And that's why it matters to mm. everyone, right? Mm. Like, you know. Tracy follows up, by the way. She says, I also used to work with criminal offenders. Uh, many of my clients uh, trained and work in our communities. 
Uh, yes, some reoffended, but I always tried to teach, uh, or rather tried to treat each individual with respect and dignity, which is probably way easier said than done. And Tracy, I respect you for that work. It's got to be heavy lifting. You know, oftentimes we, we hear people, Dr. Bradley Martin's a good example. Uh, Anna Savage is a good example. Tracy could be a good example. People that are members of this community mm-hmm. uh, that we want to welcome to the show. I mean, Tracy, if you feel like you can speak to this, um, I would imagine there'd be a lot of privacy concerns and sensitivities, but you can send us an email. I mean, we I, a lot of times we do want to get the executive directors and the CEOs and the directors and, the, you know, the big cheese but when it Anne comes to a story. A great guest. You just said, I want people on the ground person. floor. Yeah. I want everyday people that are living their everyday lives. What is like we talked about with Sapria there? What does this mean for you? Mm-hmm. That's what we care about the most, isn't it? Isn't that what makes most sense? But I believe people can change, and I always have this argument with my wife. Just at last point, and she, and she gets mad. She says, no, most people who are inherently bad are inherently evil, and they stay that way. But you even said on the show the other day, there's certain, uh, you know, uh, certain times that that doesn't jive with me. You know, when you were talking about child predators the other day, and you said on the show, you're like, I don't believe the majority of them can be helped. Yeah. It's people who do these horrible things to children, right? So My friend Bonnie, I won't identify her further than that. She works with convicted sex offenders. And she's trying to help them. Right? Well, yeah. And she's said to my face that she's disappointed that I've used my platform in past to, to pass along that sentiment mm-hmm. that I don't believe that some people can be rehabilitated. And she says that's not the type of attitude we can have. It's counterproductive. It contributes to stigma. And Bonnie and I have had good conversations, and Bonnie is more of an expert than I am. Mm -hmm. This is what she does. She sits across tables from these people uh, all the time, like on a daily basis. Um, I just know what I see uh, from, you know, I mean, is there anything more frustrating? And frustrating is not an adequate word. Is there anything that fucking pisses you off more than a press release from a police service that says, heads up, everyone, this Here's- individual is being released into the community and we believe there is a high likelihood they will reoffend. And why are they being let out? Why are they being let out? Yeah, it's, yeah. Right. And, and this is I understand it's a nuanced conversation. We do have to talk about. Things like rehabilitation and second chances and, and dignity and, and all of the things that, you know, that, that, that goes into a, a legitimate and honorable justice system. But it's pretty easy, I think, to overlook the devastating impacts of some people's transgressions. And uh, that's what resonates with me. You talk to enough survivors of sexual abuse, as an example, people that experienced it as a child, and it can't help but shake uh, shape your opinions on this kind of stuff. So we welcome your feedback uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. If, if, if you want to just absolutely put me in the crosshairs, go up one side of me and down the other, absolutely no problem with that. Uh, you know, no opinion is out of line as far as I'm concerned on this show, chiming in on subject matter that's important to us. We're going to take you out to the mountains in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you about the selection at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Now, you may still be in a position where you're not quite comfortable out in public shopping in stores. They've made it easier than ever before for you to find your next ride online. If you go to their websites, either stalbertdodge.com or SherwoodDodge.com and click on shopping tools, you'll find the how-to videos. What are the things you want to look for? What's the way to best 
track down the vehicle that's going to be a perfect fit for you or your family. You can price it out, learn about your financing options, check out their fleet services or even their fly and drive program. You can also connect with their pre-owned inventory and, of course, contact their service and parts department. Again, online under the Sponsors tab on our website, you will find our preferred dealers in Alberta. That is St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And our good friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you there is no better time to tap into their summer blizzard selection than right now. It is a scorcher. In our neck of the woods, we've been asking for it for weeks, and we're finally getting this sunshine. We heard from Real Talker Will yesterday. He let me know that he went and checked it. He said, I couldn't drive past the Dairy Queen in Westmount. He said, I could just hear your voice in my head, Jespo. He sent me an email yesterday. So he picked up the Caramel Score Blizzard. I said, how was it? He said, how do you think it was? (laughs) But don't forget about these as well. The Sweet Summer Sips. The Poolside Punch Twisty Misty Slush. A little lighter if you don't want to go full... And the s'mores shake. God bless you, John. Finding the s'mores shake as the lighter option. When compared to to the blizzard. I think you're right. I think we might name our next dog Twisty Misty. I thought you were going to say blizzard. Blizzard, that's not a bad score. Twisty Misty. Maybe if the dog is inclined to chase its tail as a pup, we can call it Twisty Misty. I like that. All right, well, listen, every Wednesday, uh, we treat ourselves. We take our minds off everything that can pile up and cause us stress and anxiety, and we head out to the mountains. Courtesy of Tourism Jasper, it's My Jasper Memories. And in this edition, we're taking you out to the golf course. I mean, I'd be out at this golf course every single day if I possibly could. The Fairmont Jasper Park golf course, of course, ranked the number one golf resort in the country. And that includes... They're par threes, which have just been recognized. This is absolutely fantastic stuff among the best in the world. Dazzling and beautiful holes that range from the very short to the longer, more challenging ones. Canadian Stanley Thompson, the country's greatest golf course architect, set these par threes against the backdrops of several different ranges of the Canadian Rockies back in 1925. It's so difficult to determine what's more impressive, their elegance or the various shots that are required to play them. Now, the elevation in the mountains makes everything at Jasper Park play a club length shorter. And so the first nine has two par threes that stretch more than 230 yards. Those are long holes. The landing spots have got to be mapped out. The fourth hole, I love it, Cavell. It storms south along a valley floor. you got to cross a bunker 40 yards short of the green. It's a tough shot. And then the ninth, steeply downhill, a kick slope that bounces short shots toward the putting surface called Cleopatra. It's a name that riffs on Pyramid Mountain, which is seen in the distance, the necklace of golden bunkers that circle the green. They call it Collins Clout. Uh, Mid-iron holes, the best of the bunch, the shortest, the Bad Baby. That's 15. That's what my wife calls me son. But what? Bad Baby plays just 138. Believe it or not, that is not in the talking points. 138 yards to a small push pin green that repels balls in all directions. 15 is where I find that your round can be made or broken. I want to thank Score Golf for that video footage there and our friends at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge for reminding us that no matter how recently you played the Jasper Park Lodge golf course, you're overdue to return. You can find out more details on this stunningly beautiful track uh, at jasper.travel slash realtalk. We've been talking a lot about getting 
the real talkers, like the hardcore road trip and real talkers we out to Jasper. It. We got to do a road trip show, right? So I'm not surprised to see that that Golf Digest International just put out this ranking of the greatest par threes in the world and Jasper made the cut. Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> this is one of my favorite courses uh, that I've ever played. And I encourage you to check it out again. If you're on the course, if you're playing, heck, maybe you're downloading or listening to this podcast on your way out to Jasper. Post a photo or a video on Instagram or Twitter. Make sure you use the hashtags MyJasper and RealTalkRJ. And you could see your photos or video featured right here Wednesdays on Real Talk. Well, as mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking tomorrow to Danielle Smith. And I do want to invite you to send us your thoughts if you're a supporter of her campaign or if you vociferously are arguing against her candidacy. Both viewpoints are valid and we want to understand where you're coming from. I do have some concerns about the policy she's putting forward. And of course, I'm expecting a candid conversation with her. We appreciate you checking out this show. We promise you every single morning we're going to keep it real. Hearts on sleeves. We're going to say what we mean. When we feel weak, we're going to confide that. And when we feel strong, it's probably because we're gathered here together, right? It's part of the whole magic of what we're building. Thanks to those of you that have already subscribed to Seriously. Sapri and I, that new project launching a week from today, we're thrilled. You can check out seriouslypod.com. Make it a great day, and we'll talk to you Thursday morning. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook Shivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is reported in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com. 